You're welcome on in. Henswell Boxing, Ireland's only boxing podcast. I'm Al Rich, and you'll find all our episodes, new and old, www.henswellboxingpodcast.com. You can WhatsApp us, 083351 5250, and of course you'll find us on all the social media platforms. Privilege and a pleasure as always to be in your ears for what was planned and meant to be a Paddy's Day boxing bonanza. We'll now morph into a wee tribute, a recognition, or a mark of respect if you like for a man who not only helped shape the Irish boxing world as we know it today, but the world boxing scene. Coming up with our tribute to Barney Eastwood, who sadly passed away over the last few days. Before we get into it, let's have a look at what else is coming. Hard to believe it's only barely four years ago that all the furore and chaos and carnage at the Rio Olympics, and from an Irish point of view, the eye of that particular storm centred around our very own Michael Conlon. And he's back today to talk about all of that, to talk about what's happened since, and what's likely to happen next. Your whole amateur career has headed towards the Olympic Games, and they'd be excited, they'd be anxious, everything. All the emotions have become in the play. Also joining me as a fighter who was meant to be on that card in Madison Square Garden this weekend, Tyrone fighter Fearless Fergal McCrory talks about camp, training with Sergei Deryavchenko, Richard Comey, Chris Algieri, with roots in Breen's Gym in Belfast, and a lot more. Well, when I'm in the ring with Sergei, we've got a few rounds in. He was obviously holding back on his power shots, thankfully. And we'll hear the words of Belfast trainer as he relives and remembers and recants the memories of training those superb world champions in Barney Eastwood's gym in Belfast. John Breen. Only five world champions at one time. There's only three versions of the world title in them, Josh. And five of them in your gym. Before I get into the shout-outs and the thick of the action, I want to give credit, as always, to the fantastic musicians and artists who created the music that provides the backbone to this podcast of ours. Super Engines tracked it's always, I'm always getting asked people so what's that and who's it by and a shout out to Rachel across there in LA was quick to buy the album on, have a look for King Modo on iTunes, you'll find their music there all the time and also it's on today's episode being a Paddy's Day of feel I wanted to play something a little bit more traditionally Irish as well and that is of course the Barley Mob road tune Adam Daly and the fellas were a fantastic band based in Clay in that direction a few years ago. So, and Paddy Fitzpatrick, shout out to you. He loves he loves to listen to the Irish reggae effect. So, thanks to all the guys for giving me their permission and all the other bands and local artists who have given me permission since we've started this to use their music. Best way to go. Keep it local, as the fella says. Shout out, Francie Lizoho, Paul McCullough and all the gang in Champions Gym. Jono, of course, watching every move they make. A special happy birthday to the Pink Panther and friend of the uh, friend of the podcast here, Jim Rock. Apologies a little bit late, Jim. I did get a message to you the other day, but can't not mention it today as well. So he's 21 again, guys. He's 21 again. Maybe we'll run a competition and say, can we guess what age is the Pink Panther? I would say 35, 34, maybe, perhaps. But uh, respect to you, Jim. Hope you had a good one. Special mention as well to Newbridge man and former amateur standout champion Dermot McDermott, who is now representing Ireland, of course, in as the third man in the ring around the world. He's not long back, I believe, from the qualifiers in the African pool, where he was a representing with distinction and got a lovely little touch there from world-renowned referee Mickey Van, who sent him on some memorabilia. So shout out to you, Dermot. Well done. Congrats again. And of course, can't but can't but um, as I said 
going to pay tribute here in a few moments as well to the late, great Barney Eastwood, who really reinvigorated, revitalised, and in many ways created the Irish boxing scene that we're all loving and enjoying today. But we'll get to that in a few minutes. With the world on lockdown, shortage of toilet roll is just at pandemic stage now. I believe it's gone to a a brown status. (laughs) There is no toilet roll to be found. Kittensoft are reporting record levels. They're trending off the graph in the stock exchange. They are about to take over the world. The world is going to be run by Kittensoft. (laughs) Their soldiers are being deployed in Ireland on the streets. There's fellas having to put on a uniform and leave the cosy barracks that haven't seen Civvy Street in freaking forever. Forever, they're out now. Shout out to all the frontline staff. A massive respect, massive, massive respect to the nurses, the doctors, the guardy, the soldiers, the civil defence, everybody who's helping in any way, shape or form. I know I'm making light of this little... I, it's, it's the way I go. I got a roll like this because if I start overthinking, well then we're into murky waters. So can't go like that. And as I said the other day to Eamon King Kane, shout out to Eamon, uh, we gotta live. We gotta live, we gotta laugh and we gotta try love as well, so... We get two out of three anyways, and if we can add that little third one to the plot, who knows, the next few days might not be so bad at all. But just keep your wits about you, batten down the hatches, get through this, and in a few weeks and months' time, we'll be all talking about, remember the day when you weren't allowed outside and all that crack, you know? But uh, yeah, it's it's good to laugh, it really is. But I gotta say, um, a big shout out, as I said, to Binny Fallen as well, and the gang in Australia who were in touch with me during the week, and we laugh, and we enlighten the... Lighten the mood and maybe just ease the belt of the seriousness just a little bit as we, we talk about this sport that we love so much. But uh, listen, don't forget to wash your hands. Don't forget to flush the toilet. And uh, maybe it'll just bring us back to a few of those basic home traits that the granny used to bait you over around the ear. The clip around the ear you'd get. Promised we're going to keep things upbeat. But sometimes things come along that we just got to address and we got to pay respect to. A man who I believe shaped not just the boxing world that we see here in Ireland right now, but the boxing world in general. Barney Eastwood and his gym and his fighters provided so many, so many highlights for so many boxing fans. And for me personally, as I've always said here, my very first fight I remember watching, of course, was that spectacular occasion where Barry McGuigan beat Eusebio Pedroza to win that world title in 1986 and catapulted me into this fantastic, this, this, brilliant beautiful world of boxing he passed away last week after a a brief illness he was 87 years old and just a little bit of a background on on Mr Eastwood who many people might or might not have known he made his business fortunes and his acumen as a bookmaker until his death he had lived in Hollywood for 50 years I believe he's a former Republican and undertaker and a bookmaker of course and he won a minor title as a footballer with County Tyrone but it was boxing that stole his heart he promoted so many shows and so many events and managed boxers and fighters and advised and was involved with so many of that inner circle who ran the London boxing scene and, and was connected to them very closely. You'll hear John Breen speak of in a short while. He, he of course, began to manage Barry McGuigan in 1980 and together the two of them created a beautiful, bright, shining ray of light through some very, very dark days of the Troubles that culminated... In, of course, Barry McGuigan beating Pedroza in 1986. You're going to hear John talk of what Barney has done and how he did it. You'll hear him talk about the five world champions in his gym. And you'll hear about the just phenomenal ethic, uh, togetherness, 
and love that grew inside the walls of that gym while outside there really cannot be overstated the, the darkness and the, the, um, the torture that went on in all for everybody that witnessed and lived through it. BJ, as he was known, is survived and loved by his wife Frances, his sons, his daughters, 23 grandchildren, 15 great grandkids. And he will be remembered by many, many, many people around the city and around the country who knew him and who loved him. And for me, he'll be remembered, having never met him, but just so thankful to be able to witness what he created. And you're going to hear here for just, if you can just bear with me for a few minutes in this and listen to the atmosphere that you're going to hear in a few minutes. And this was a ring walk that McGuigan made just before his fight with Pedroza in the King's Hall in Belfast. Close your eyes as you listen to it. And I'm going to make it a little bit louder than normal. And remember the atmosphere. Remember the environment. Remember the tension. Remember the times. Remember the atrocities that were going on across the divides. And then listen and remember that the crowd is not up there. A mix of people who are every other year of their feet that day, that year, wouldn't and couldn't do it again. Just a, and it was a really small gym and it wasn't a yeah. massive big but it was a really small gym and he, he walked out with the, see when Fran McCulloch said Fran, big fancy to do security for Barney and Fran McCulloch rings me up one, one Saturday night or something he said to me he said Barney he should ask me to ask you to call down the same I said what for and I didn't really know Barney I said what for he said I don't know he just must have a job or something so I went down to one day I'm there and I went down and Natty Shaw got him there and Natty was sitting there not looking, not looking too well and I went down and looked around the fucking place Jesus Christ I couldn't believe the fucking feathers in the place yeah. and then Barney came in and me and Barney went in the dressing room uh, we small dressing room the size of a toilet and Barney said Natty's not too well I said see it now I said sorry to see it he said would you go down and give him a hand he said he, he needs your help I said, the money not be good. I said, if money return for money, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. I said, I love boxing and I love, but it'd be my pleasure to come down and work with these fucking fighters. Barney, five world champions at, at one time. There's only three versions of the world title named it. And five of them in your gym. So five of them. Each way, the, the gym was fantastic. Like, you know, 
Barney having the three quid obviously helped out too, but again, he didn't, you know, people say Barney's a gangster, no more of a gangster than any fucking body is, but, you know, like, you know, anybody who's boxing promoter, already punter called them gangsters. Uh, he's in it for money, he's in it for the help of anybody else. But obviously, if he's invested, Barney's investing money himself, he wanted to put him something, something to back out of it, which he did. He you know, loved the game. Like, I'm still in contact with Barney. I would talk to him, he still talks very, very feasible and talks about the boxing, talks about things happening now. And, you know, I love Barney shit again. I mean, what, what 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 that man did for boxing in Ireland? Because you could look oh, at you, that, yeah, you could look it. at Ireland now, and you could look at Belfast now, and say five world champions. Are there even yeah. five there at the moment? You know, with no, all, all the talent that's there. No. I heard all finished at the end of uh, Victor Cordova was one of the champions. He was super middleweight. The next thing, he left East Sweden and back to America, and I didn't know. I said, "Born in Ireland, don't know." Just jumped on the plane, just to get home. Not many problem, family problems. And I was trying to stay in touch with him, and he wouldn't tell me nothing. It's good over this. And then uh, he rang me up. He said, John, he says, I'm going to ask you something. He says, Would you come over and train me? Come over to, over to America for six weeks and train me for, he said, It'll be 10,000. Like, 10,000 pounds in them days. It's fucking magnum money to me. And I says, Have we spoke to you about it? He says, I think Mr. Spot has spoken to him. Louis Spot, he called the other pun my name. Monitored or thing. So I got off the phone. I said, Toby, I'll ring you back tomorrow. I said, well, How will we chat with Barney in the morning? See if it's okay. Because I knew if Adam went over there, I would never go back in these woods again. So I rang Barney the next morning. I said, Cadova's on the phone. What he what's he want? I said, No, just he's, he's asking me to go over and train. He's offering me 10,000 pounds to go over and train him for this world title fight. Michael Dunney was fighting. So Barney said, I shouldn't have left him in the first place. That was the answer. But I love Victor Cordova. He's one of these guys I've never seen the best. Like Steve Collins, my wife's father, Mike Callahan, he brought Barney in again. Like Mick, Mick used to work with Jack Solomon. Jack Solomon. Did you tell me Jack? He owned Wembley. Was that right? Jack, no, no, no. That was Jarvis Stewart owned Wembley. Oh yeah. Jack Solomon was a the biggest promoter in Europe at that time, if not the world. Like he'd worked. Everybody's a fucking world champion. Jack Solomon was the man. Like I remember from meeting Jack Solomon one day and we're well, back to that one in Jarvis Astera. Jarvis Astera owned Wembley and next thing uh, we're over at a show one day and famous Spanish off the world title and Barney called me up to up to talk to this man who's talking Jarvis Astera. He says, he says uh, this is John Brain, Mick, Mick Allen's son-in-law. He says, uh, this is Jarvis Astera, he owned Wembley and the man put his hand in Chuck Man. He says, and your father-in-law was born in Born over he's a multi-millionaire, the smartest man I ever met in boxing. And with a chungum behind my ear, a lump in my throat, and the hair standing on my neck, I'm going to read a little note that I got my new pal, who all the way down under, who grew up in Shelbyville, not a million miles from me as we grew up in synchronicity. Uh, it comes from Binny Fallen, with massive respect to him. He sent it to me in his own words. What is boxing to me? To me, it isn't the sweet science. To me... It's the art of heart. I give it that name because it's how I feel. My style, or lack thereof, has no science. There's no logic or structure. My style is instinct and belief. And these two traits belong to a heart. 
that does not ever mean my way is the right way. There's no right way. Boxing is your way. It's how you want to express yourself. Yet boxing, to so many I know, is actually our escape. To a place from where there is no escape. Nowhere to hide or avoid the pain. It's the loneliest place in the world. It leaves you naked mentally, physically. You're exposed. It forces you not to look elsewhere, but to stare in the mirror. It forces you to inflict pain on yourself to ensure you're prepared for others to give you even more. From basic human ethics, it makes no sense. But yet all along I've known the dark truth that to me nothing in the world feels natural as this. How does intently hurting another person more than you they can hurt you mean you win? The win is within. It's not a statistic. It doesn't make me the better man. It makes you a better you. The judge's opinion on what the world thinks doesn't matter to anybody who can look at themselves knowing they went further inside than ever before. Scratch the surface with any true fighter and I think none will have got to their best by doing it for what another person on this planet thinks. It's impossible for me to believe that the very best is achieved by those who sit on the outside looking in. More so than what stands on the inside looking out. I don't believe in perfection. I don't believe it exists in anything. Whether it's life, sport, work, anything else. But those few words there, I believe, come very, very, very close to perfectly describing a sport. People who don't get it, will never get it. And people who love it, probably don't get it either. And a beautiful tribute and mark of respect to Barney Eastwood. Rest in peace. What better way to segue out of the serious real world stuff and into the land of, what did they say, real world, quote unquote? Uh, watched a program recently. I watched on Netflix and it's called Love is Blind. And Netflix do a great job. They produce, they commission and they put some real thought inspiring and synapse firing content together. Love is Blind falls into the category of um, what I would consider to be death row for brain cells. For me, anyways. It sort of shows that MTV used to specialise in, that you used to watch on a Sunday morning when you uh, didn't have any brain cells left from the night before. And uh, it was an intriguing one, nonetheless. And uh, it, it, what it does is, it tries to compact a relationship and, and the whole process of meeting somebody and getting together and, and uh, into a series or a season of... of TV, which might be about seven episodes, I want to say. And then, of course, there's a reunion, which I just refuse to watch. What it's proven is, and what it's... People who are a little bit younger might not remember the days of a fella having to cross the dance floor during the slow set in a nightclub to ask a girl to dance. They're gone. It's all too easy now, lads. All too easy. And, and what's he talking about? What's, what is he on about? Well, back in the day, and it wasn't that long ago either, we used to go to these places called nightclubs, after, mostly after the pub, purely to get the late drink, and uh, back in those days, and listen to some suspect music and to dance even more suspect at times. But all, all for me was always good crack, always good fun most of the time, and then go home and spend the rest of the week giving out about going there that night and then do it all again the following week. But... Part of their courting process, as they used to call it, was when you'd walk across the dance floor, excuse me, or do you want to dance? And uh, at the time when you're making that walk across the dance floor, let me tell you, lads, let me tell you, it wasn't as easy as uh, logging into the phone and, and uh, pressing 
the old uh, Tinder or Grinder or whatever your choice is these days and uh, saying, how are you getting on and telling a whole pile of lies. It was a case of walking across the floor like a real man and looking somebody in the eye and asking them to dance and holding your breath while they felt like an eternity to answer. And if you were lucky enough to say yeah, you then had to dance that awkward dance on the dance floor. And when I say awkward, just use your imagination. Okay, when you're particularly at teenage discos and you're a young fella probably dancing with a girl for the first or second time, perfume smells, hair, everything. And you're dancing and you think, this is it, this is it. But you can't get too close, lads. You can't get too close, right? And um, in nightclubs and whatever else, then it feels like, it feels like, and maybe it wasn't the case, but it definitely felt like the whole place was watching you as you make that walk across. And if you happen to be unluckily enough to be refused, I'm going to be a real brat and say, well, I can't remember how that feels. I'm not saying it never happened, but I'm saying I can't remember it happening. And I can't remember feeling maybe, maybe PTSD, maybe I've blocked it out. But yeah, I, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. It certainly wasn't as easy as, as a, an app on a phone. But uh, the dance on the dance floor and the shift... And the whole lot, when everyone's looking at you, gone, gone. And now it seems many prefer to avoid all the reality of getting together and the fun of the highs and the lows and falling in love with somebody uh, without spoiling the program. It's it's uh, it's basically a relationship in a bottle. And it's a meeting, a get-to-know-you, a proposal, a breakup, all rolled into one. And it definitely is for me, I felt a little bit less intelligent. Not saying I'm hugely intelligent, but I definitely felt a little bit less intelligent after watching it. And I would say, to me, it reminded me a little bit of Yellow Pack. Anybody remember Quinsworth, Tesco's Yellow Pack? I know my uh, friends and loved ones and brethren in the north may not remember who Quinsworth are. Louise told me the other day, what's Quinsworth? Well, they they were a supermarket before Tesco came along and bought them out. So they had what was called yellow bra- yellow pack, and hence the yellow pack food on the cover of this week's episode. And it was the most tasteless, foul, bland, horrid <laughs> food you could imagine. But at the time, we just ate it because it was put in the plate, and you didn't know any different. You just knew you didn't like it, but you had to eat it because you were hungry. And if you didn't eat it, you weren't allowed out to play football, or to uh, play Dominic's Park against College Park on the green, or to... Um, when we got a bit older... Binny had to tip across there to you lot across the Nace and try and defend our uh, our patch. If we went across to uh, Finans on the corner and took your life in your hand, going up into that nightclub, huh? If they knew where we were from, they could smell it. They could smell it. They could smell a Newbridge fella. And then later on, you'd go to the court when you got a little bit more mature and you were, you were uh, moving up in the world. You know, as Heather Small would say, moving on up, moving on up. But uh, I digress, I digress. For me, yeah, Yellow Pack is what that program is. It was a relationship wrapped up in Yellow Pack. It had an expiry, and any of them that got over the line, I would be willing to bet and guess that it ain't going to last very long because they, to me, epitomise what we see a lot of in public today and a lot of in society. Fake, false, insincere, uh, lying, conceitful, um, there was people on there with flaws that were pointing out everybody else's flaws didn't see their own or, or, or pretended not to see their own and, and it was all too tragic for me to be honest with you and uh, Yellow Pack for me uh, thankfully I grew up on it and lived on it and, and uh, tasted it a lot but it's gone now and as is and as are that particular type I love to be around real people I love to be around sincere people I love to be around people who can 
cut you down not in a good way or a bad way and put it to you without any frills without being a snowflake and without wanting to impress and those to me are the sort that I will live and die by I will be forever happy to be around them and there's a couple who I'm thinking of right now and you may hear the smile creep across my face who uh, have the ability to just stick me forwards with that upfront forwardness and uh, you know who you are and uh, you know what it means and you know how much I love it and it's always going to be the way so it's either for you it's for it not if you don't like this real forward and uh, honest lifestyle well then I guess maybe love is blind for you for me no it's not love is something that a lot of thought goes into Uh, it's guarded it's minded and when it happens it's amazing but it's never blind never ever blind and I guess that comes with age Uh, if you're looking for the quick fix if you're looking for the get fit pill the magic potion that makes life perfect not only millennials there's a lot of people who knew better and know better but are opting maybe to try to try this new uh, whatever you want to call it yellow packed lifestyle who don't want to stand on their own two feet who believed in something at one point in time stood for something at one point in time but have capitulated caved to public opinion or packed mentality and life, love, relationships careers all take effort everything serious everything meaningful constant evaluation education recent times it appears the only thing that changes it's like it's out with the old in with new new year new you everything's changed everything's gone not worth fixing that not worth washing that not worth minding that let's just get a new one whether that's a clothing item whether that's a person in your family or a person in your life whether it's a relationship it's a triggering it's an alarming program when you look at it Uh, do I believe it's possible no not for me it's not for me love has to be real it has to be physical it has to be everything and when it happens it's amazing it's truly amazing and is it instant is it instant there's a question it hasn't been for me ever never apart no it hasn't ever been but on the few occasions it's happened absolutely blows my mind and that's what makes it so special my first guest this week Fergal McCrory he's another one of those fighters and fellas just an all round great guy he gave me so much of his time when I was starting up he's one of the boxers that I think of and I use this in a, in a, from a place of love when I use the phrase an ordinary fella doing extraordinary things He's currently on his way home to Jen and the kids rather than prepping for a fight tonight in Madison Square Garden for his US debut. He's put everything and all he has into the last few weeks for his US debut and that of course had to be scrapped at the last moment due to this COVID-19. He spoke to me a few days ago on the move to the US camp training amongst fellas like Richard Comey, Chris Algieri and Sergei Deryevchenko. And of course about his beautiful and young family who are waiting now with smiles and bated breath for Fergal to come through the door. He's a great fella, fearless Fergal McCrory. The more you do, so you're still always bollocks. Yeah. 
it's it's a state of it's, it's all it's good. A, it's a it's a way of life right now is to be bollocks hanging into this party, and that's I suppose if you weren't like that, you'd be worried, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we still have a few hard days left. I have a spar in the morning, then a spar Tuesday morning. Um, sprint Sunday, and then the hard gym session Monday as well. So then, then we'll start tapering it down for for fight week. Yeah. But everything at the minute is is on is going according to plan. It doesn't seem that long ago since I chatted to you just after the Carol Kelly fight, and it was kind of uncertain. It was where was the next step going to be, and what we all hoped and wished for for you. But it is it's very special. But um. <clears throat> I have to take the the romance off it. I have to strip it down. It's just another fight. It's another day in the office, and and I have a job to do. It's something that I look back on with with great memories and fondness, and and it's just not something I can get caught up in. I've stripped it all down. It's the same thing: hard work, and and uh, I have a job to do on March seventeenth, and and that's it. No matter where it is. Fight to fight is not the occasion. You've had the best preparation right back from get from day day one. With if there was if if McGee could give you advice now going into it, what do you think it would be? And we 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 we'll, we'll um maybe we have to make it a little bit <laughs> PC just so the people can hear it. <laughs> McGee's advice, I would be quite certain, would be just cool, calm, and collected. I just I always remember McGee saying that every fight. Every fight night, every way, and it was just always about cool, calm, collective. Three words that people mightn't associate with Evan McGee, but <laughs> yeah, no doubt, absolutely. But he, he's so, he's just so in the know, obviously with his own experiences. But his boxing brain, his just everything about him. Once you get to know Evan McGee, and, and only once you know him, should you really judge him. That's not just McGee; it's the same with everybody. There's too many people around this world right now that are judging everybody and they don't know what's going on under their own roof. They have no clue. And uh, you're 100% right. 100% right on that. And, and I've spoken to people all around the world in boxing circles and every one of them will say nothing but the highest of regard and, and, and high um, respect for that man. And, and whatever else comes or goes, as you said, you know it, you're privy to it, John's privy to it, a few other people. That's between them. In boxing terms, that man has done things that people could only dream. Yeah, absolutely. And and I also maybe said this to you before, but I've said it to a lot of people that the thing about Eamon McGee is, and I I believe this is why some people may not like him. If Eamon likes you, he likes you, and he'll do anything for you. But if Eamon doesn't like you, he doesn't pretend that he likes you. You know, he's not going to say hello to you if you say hello to him. If he doesn't like you, he doesn't dress it up. He if he doesn't like you. That's it. That's it. There's no back doors with him, and, and he deserves a lot of respect for that. As part of the team, come fight night and come part. Will you? Will the lads be travelling over? I don't think so this time. No, unfortunately not. But um, I've been in contact with John, and you know, I've been talking back and forth, and. You know, obviously his opinion is very, very important, and he obviously has a lot going on at, at the minute at home with Cathy, which is great. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing them all again, and, and I will go to Cathy's next fight. Cathy sure. um, McAleer, and of course, a man I've never met but speaks to me, and on social media, like I, like he's one of my best friends, is Joe Alma. What, what a special man Joe is, and, and his words always seem to strike a chord, don't they? Oh. Uh, we Joe, we Joe's the man. He really is. He he's such a heart of gold, and he works so hard in the gym, training himself, and anything he can do, he can do to help anyone. 
there's no problem for him. He's, he's, he's a great person all around. Do you find you've been learning stuff unknown to yourself that has put you in a position now to be able to deal with and cope with what's going to come at this point in your career? Yeah, definitely. Belfast is a very, very tough place from from when I was born, Mark McCullough, to in John's start to uh, Sean Higginson, um, Sean McGee. Then you obviously had Hilo and Tennyson. You know, you really tough sports, hard men, all different styles, and you know, just just everything in, in terms of your own boxing experience. But in Belfast, especially John's, it's just so. It's just hard work, all day, every day. It's hard work, and, and you can't just be a fighter when you're in the gym or you're out running. You have to be a fighter. 24-7 and this move to America has has helped me become a 24-7 full-time fighter I was always a fighter at home all the time but the difference now is resting between sessions which is huge and you know I expect to to show how much I've come on through that alone, that rest between sessions in my next fight in a week and a half. Often take power naps, but when you get to just sit down and relax, just to chill out instead of wheeling tar or or hand digging holes and jumping into the trenches at work to fix a water a bush water pipe and then to get into a car to fly down the road to train, you know, it's it's just getting that balance so I can get up in the morning. Although lately I've actually been running at night. Um I get up and I go to training in Brooklyn and you don't know how long the session is going to be. You could be in there for two hours, you could be in there for four hours, five hours, you don't know. So that, that was the reasoning behind changing my runs to nighttime. So I come, I can give my full effort in training, come home, I can chill out and I can go for my run. And uh, the power naps is something I'd love to add, but I just, uh, I, I can't. <laughs> I just can't audit him, unfortunately. We've we'll set up a distance learning online course and I'll teach you. <laughs> and it's not as if I'm not tired, you know, you'll be, with the work you'll be doing, you'll be shattered. But... Um, Andre's environment over there, it's, it's, it's very high octane. It's, uh, there's some some killer names in the gym, like Veryachenko and you have some lads like that. I mean, to be moving with him in the ring must be, for me, it's fucking terrifying for, him. <laughs> for you. Like, he's obviously yeah. holding on the power. And is that something you've it's, set it's, into pretty quickly? It's great. To, you you know, the, the lads over here, the big names, like Chris Algieri is, I can't speak highly enough of him. Um, the, the same as Sergei. Sergei's such a nice, nice man. Everyone in the gym is, but when I'm in the ring with Sergei, I've, I've only been in the ring with him the once we got a few rounds in. He was obviously holding back on, on his power shots, thankfully. His his control of distance, his how, how he manages the pace, how he changes angles, his shot selection and then the most important thing after is, is his advice. And it's you know you know it's great because he he is obviously for what he's achieved he was robbed unlucky, whatever you want to call it, against Golovkin. I mean, he gave Golovkin all he wanted and more, and he's a, he's a serious, serious fighter. So so to be in the gym and, and training with those guys and sharing the ring with them is is brilliant, yeah, there's no question, and it surely it can only help you grow as a, as a fighter and, and a competitor. Without going too deep into it, you're talking just three names that people will notice off the block. Chris Algieri, world-renowned fighter, 
just an all-around great guy as well and probably could be a model as well if he wanted to be. <laughs> Richard Comey, who was in there and was expected, in my eyes, I expected him to beat Lopez the last time. Probably got caught a little bit cold, but you'd have Sergei Naryevichenko. Richie should never have lost that fight. He should never have lost against uh, Lopez. Um, you know, the, the word, the talk coming from coming up to the fight, leading up to the fight, I was there as he had started his camp. The talk from the gym leading up to his fight was how terrific he was looking. He's actually due out now in, in the next four or five days back into the gym. Um, I'm looking forward to catching up with him again. But, you know, unfortunate, the unfortunate thing about boxing is when you have a bad night, it's on your record forever. And, you know, Richie just had a bad night. He caught a shot, which happens. And at world level, you know, it's, it's very unforgiving. It's it's starting to taper down now. For for Fergal McCrory to go to fight mode, it, does it start or has it already started or does it come? What's the process from here on in take the training aside mentally and everything else? Mentally, um, mentally, I just just uh, chilled out, relaxed, and and I I often tell people who have no interest in boxing about how you need two totally different personalities. You need to almost be bipolar because. The person that you are outside, you can't be that person in the ring because if you are, you're going to get demolished. And if you're the person you are in the ring outside, then then you're going to be hated and in jail. So, um, you know, when, when I'm with the team, when I'm in training, when I'm out running, mentally, all on my mind is the fight. You know, even when I wake up and I'm, I feel like I'm having, you know, I just feel shit, maybe a wee bit tired. You know, I just have myself right, well, let's go and bang this out. Let's get a big session because if I feel that particular way the day of a fight, which I shouldn't, but I don't know how I'm going to feel that day of the fight, if maybe a little bit run down, whatever it may be, right, that's okay because I've trained in every single way that I can possibly feel when I wake up. You know, I, I will have performed. And, you know, it's just it's just about being in, like, like every single time I train, I always try and put myself in an uncomfortable position. Physically, mentally, um, I mean, when you go to Andre's gym, the fighters like Zigay Juan Dominguez. He's nineteen and one. He he's been out of the ring uh, two or three years. He dominates his knee. He's the all-round best fighter I've ever shared the ring with. He is absolutely brilliant. He is punching power, shot selection. He's he's class. He's a class act, and you know it's, it's not very comfortable at times being in there with him. You know, I hold my own and, and with some amazing sports and, and just learn every day. But, you know, mentally, a lot of the time when you're not in the gym, you're thinking about your weight, what you're eating, you know, how, where you're at. And that usually takes up most of your thinking for the for the time being. Me personally, anyway. And, uh, but, yeah, so you you're, you're have it too. But do you find that for each fight, it's a difference? process you, you you go through it in a different way you just prep it as it comes naturally because you're as you said you're conditioned in all states and all frames of mind so yeah yeah just getting sharp everything's sharp everything you do is is speed work and and you know just just making sure that you're mentally right for the fight and to be mentally right for the fight you have to be physically right and when i say that if you go into a fight and you know that you haven't done the work that you're supposed to do you you can you can bluff it off to anyone you want, but you know, yeah. you know what you've done, and with that, 
that will leave you madly correct when you know that you're physically right, that you've done everything, that you've pushed your body to the limits. And uh, and th th then you'll be good. You're ready to go. And, you know, it's just it's just about staying focused. And, and as I say, calm, just chill out, relax. Just getting ready to go. It's phenomenal to see what you're doing for yourself. But the legacy that you're building and the, the opportunity, is it as much about winning and, and earning or is it as much is it is it a case of showing the kids and the family as well that you can live your own dreams it's everything um you know obviously as as a husband and a father my main responsibility is to to provide and you know pe people don't realize that you know when i'm out here as a fighter i only get paid when i fight so my bills at home don't stop until i fight the bills at home continue. The bills are still out here. I have some amazing sponsors on board. So much help from the Irish out here. They're, they're, they're great. I have a lot of help back home. My wife has help. Not that she needs it. She's very strong-headed. And she likes just, she's just battling on, you know. And it's hard being away. But if, if my daughter Aoife hadn't been born, I would never have fought again. That's a fact. That's a hundred percent fact. Um, yeah, 100%. I quit boxing. I was drinking beer. I could just got fed up. and for Different reasons. Of, uh, I was just young and immature. And my daughter was born, and thankfully it was still young. I was only 22 and she was born. And I went back to John. I said, I'm about training again. And I had a train for about six or seven months solid every week, every day, just to show him. And then... I made a believer out of him that I was serious, so he, he got me my debut. But, you know, being out here, for for them, at least in years to come, uh, if if they're following their dreams or whatever and they're getting a little bit pissed off, and you know, they can't say to me, well, sure, you didn't do it. You quit. You stopped. You know, I, I didn't. I've made big sacrifices. It's, it's difficult being away from them. Um I talk to them on FaceTime every day and you know I mean I've missed from being back and forth to America like my son was born at the end of August with being back and forth to America from that time I've missed over half of my son's life um, it's not nice you know my daughter she she has moments at times where she cries her eyes out missing me and you know it's tough it's tough it's hard on everybody it's you know, the grass isn't always greener at the other side, but, you know, this is uh, an opportunity that I couldn't turn down. And thankfully, I have the full support of my family, from my wife. Um, she She's great. She's great. And I definitely couldn't do it without her. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's obviously for financial gain and for proving a point and, I'm being a role model to, to my own kids. And there's no doubt the broadest smiles in the happiest household over the next couple of hours and certainly a couple of days will be that of the McCrory's in County Tyrone. Thanks to Fergal for his time. I know it seems right now that it might have been in vain, but it hasn't. Once the whole floor calms down around COV-19, it'll be back to normal and there'll be plenty of boxing and cards to make up as with MSG and Fergal. Thanks. Always love chatting with you. Always love keeping in touch. And those t-shirts are on the way for Jen and the kids. It was meant to be a surprise, but listen, it's got cancelled too and no doubt caught up in the post. So 
catch you really soon. With all the chaos surrounding COV-19, our amateur boxers were competing for the prize, the greatest prize of their careers. It was last weekend they touched down in London, based themselves and got ready for the 37th International Olympics, which will go ahead in Tokyo at some point in the next few months, due to be June, July. I don't know will that continue now. The qualifiers have, as of last night, been shelved. They've been postponed. Up till this, we've had mixed news. We had six of eight fighters who won their opening bouts. We had predominantly good news. We had, of course, the best news of it so far was that of the qualification of Brendy Irvine, Belfast Brendan Irvine, who qualified in the 52 kilo flyweight division for the Olympics. That's done. He's got his seat, he's got his plane ticket in his arse pocket. Massive congrats to Brendan Irvine, who's had a nightmare few years with injuries and everything else. That is the silver lining. The other silver lining is all our fighters are home. They flew home this morning. They're touched down in Dublin. They're on their way now to their nearest and dearest, to their loved ones. And that's the most important thing, that you guys and you girls are safe. I know the qualification, I know the mindset, I know the mental. It's going to be, it's going to be a bit torturous over the next few days and thinking of what happens next. But listen, health is wealth. You're home, you're safe, and the smiles of the loved ones when you walk in through those doors over the next couple of hours will be irreplaceable. They'll be the equivalent for most of us as a gold medal or a certainly maybe maybe not a qualifying spot. But listen, you're very special and you're very important to all of us fight fans, but you're even more so to your families, to your children and to everybody else. Stay safe, stay well. No doubt they'll be training over the next few days and weeks. No doubt. That's a state of, that's, that's, that's what they do. To bring our enjoyment, to bring our entertainment and to bring everything else that comes with this tremendous sport. That's what they'll do. And one man who knows all about it, who's been down that road, he's been on that journey of Olympics. He's had the uh, not so shiny silver lining of the Olympics, but it's fair to say now it's behind him. Mick Conlon could be seen as a catalyst for everything that changed after the Rio Olympics. He probably became a weight around his neck, if we're being honest, by being constantly associated with a fellow I've become to refer to as the Amadon. Of course, it's Vladimir Nikitin. I don't like saying it too often, but I'll say it because it's my party and I'll cry if I want to. Mick took time last week before he was scheduled to fly to New York to chat with me again, having been on a few week, a few months ago, and it's always brilliant to chat with Michael Conlon. The last time I chatted with you, you were preparing for that uh, for the Russian Amadon, and, and yeah. um, it fell apart. He didn't. He he, he lost. Us. He didn't come across for one reason or another. You had a big win. It was as big an occasion as it was a big fight. How was that fighting in front of your Belfast crowd? Oh, it was special, really special. It was something that I really enjoyed. To be able to box in the park, which I grew up in, basically, you know, in front of that kind of audience of my own people, you know, it was, it was special. It can never be overstated, can it? No, nah, I can't. I can't. There's a special type of fan and uh, uh, and fan base that I have. Um, Belfast fans are, are known, know all around the world for, for how good they are, you know, the people from up here, so... Um, Irish fans in general is just known for just being so passionate and so, you know, uh, loud and stuff. So, you know, it's it's something that I'm very grateful for. Something that I'm I'm really proud to be Irish. People that aren't traditionally boxing fans were coming to the time time 
when they become boxing fans because traditionally boxing is the one that brings the medals home from the Olympics. It seems a long, long, long time ago since that was with you. Having been there, how would the fighters be now as they head to London and prep and get ready? Um, it's very exciting. You know, it's it's uh very very same time nerve wracking. You know, your your whole amateur career is is headed towards the Olympic Games, and you know now it's just kind of there. Um, they'd be excited, they'd be anxious, everything, all the emotions would be coming into play. But you know, it's it's what they've been prepping for for a long time. So it's so it's it's going to be just you know, all, all all systems go for them, and I'm sure they all are very very excited to get going next week. Yeah, and Mickey, Mickey Hawkins said it to me before that the, the whole thing about high performance is repetition. It's rep- repetition, yeah. repetition. So it's it's repeating and hitting your max all the time, every time. And is that a case? Get hit hit the ground wherever you're fighting. Even for you now, is it's get there, get off the belt, and get a session into the belt. Is that what they'd be at straight away? Um, not listen. They'll be as soon as they get over there. Obviously, they'll need to kind of just get their burn, see where they are, get some sessions in, get the meet the weight made. You know, it's all it's all it's all basically simple now. You know, there's no there's no no harness about it. It's only they're only over in over in the UK now, so it's not really far. Um, they don't have to worry about time difference or or different foods. Everything is everything is going to be plain and simple for them this time, and, and they just need to make sure to get all the little small box. Coming back from from a CC that little bit early as well was was what I thought was very clever, very smart because yeah. not only the sickness point of view, but getting stuck in airports. But from your point of view, working closely with your dad. I know from if I was stuck in anywhere with my own dad for a length of time, it gets fractures. It gets to the point of, but it's it's what you guys did and it's what you've done all through. Yeah. Is it something that now, would at times I suppose early in your pro career, would you have missed it? Um. Well, he's there for the majority of the fights. You know, he's this is this is going to be the, one of the first ones. He's well, not one of the first ones. It'll be one of the ones he's missed. Um. But he usually makes most of them. Um. So it'll be I think. So, uh, did he make the second St. Patrick's Day? I'm not too sure. I think he's missed one or one or two just of the St. Patrick's Day. He was at the last one. He was at the first one. Yeah, it's 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 a bit shit him not being there all the time because he's someone who, no matter what's going on, um, you know, can bring me back to center. Um, kind of keep you calm. Tell me this: Why didn't that work for Jamie? Why, why wasn't he able to shout and tell him come back stop <laughs> well I mean this from a, a, a good place not anywhere yeah. malicious I always used to love watching everything about him I loved messaging and chatting and everything else, but I found watching through my hands I can't imagine how it must have been for for your dad yeah. and for yourself not 100% listen he always was there for Jimmy he always was um, kind of guiding him and, and advising him but you know was, Jimmy was just is a bit different there was a <laughs> I switched the flipped in Jamie and he just goes, you know what I mean? So um there was there is a difference in terms of our styles and stuff yeah. as well. You know, I think boxing and and skillful boxing is probably more more my forte, whereas when we were growing up Jamie's kind of go to was just let's go to war all the time. We see a little bit of it in Tyrone McKenna now as well at times that he just he's well able to box and can do it and can box lads ears off. But sometimes, <laughs> sometimes when the lad comes on and wants to meet him, 
He's like, okay, let's go. And, and Big Tommy has told me a few times, he said he can always hear himself shouting, no, don't, just box him. Mm. Uh, listen, you can see it, you do, you do see it in Throne as well. Maybe it was with, with Danny, I don't know, it was the style they were probably working on, I don't know what it was. Mm. But look, he's um he's doing a sterling job there with yourself as well. And, and... Yeah, listen, the... the... The manager is meant to look after you as as the person, as the fighter. The promoter is looking after himself and and, and the business of things. You know what I mean. So, um, there is a big, big difference. And, and you know, you need. To, I'm I'm very lucky to have Jamie. As you know, sometimes managers and promoters are in bed with each other, and uh, and the fighter is at, at at the end of of what happens. But you know, luckily enough, with with Jamie with MTK, it's that's not the case. They they're solely for the boxer, which is you know is very very important. Although, do you know what? I wouldn't like to see Jamie and Big Big Uncle Bob going toe to toe. I just wouldn't like to see that <laughs> ever. Um, but just looking more, suppose more practically, Presadio now the weekend, St Paddy's Day. Any less experienced fighters would be saying it's the occasion. It's Madison Square Garden. It's but. With you, you've been there three times before, and there's a lot more at stake now than ever before. That's it. Listen, every fight for me now is very important. Um, every fight is the most important fight in my career, and that's just the way it's going to be. That's the way it is. Is as a fighter nowadays, especially being undefeated, you know, every next fight is the most important one of your career, and and that's what I have to look at it like. So, you know, I'm getting into this um, fully focused, fully ready on the well, for my main the job that I need to go and perform. I can't. Have any lackluster performances? They can't. Uh, I can't lose. I need to win and win. So, you know, it's very, very important. It's. Uh, I don't. The, the occasion there is the occasion. I'm. I'm used to it. Um. It's not. That will never bother me now. I, I've done it so much. So you know, this one is just the beginning and 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 getting the job done because we're starting to get into the big business time now, and uh, and you need to be need to be on point. Yeah. And for me, the the win over the Amadon was that's the line in the sand for me. That's as if like okay, it's done and dusted, and I got that because yeah. it used to it used to annoy me from a, an outside point of view. But I can't imagine for your it was like everything you did seemed to just be traced back. Now it's done, it's gone, and it was done yeah. in emphatic style. You seemed to enjoy that in the corner. It wasn't a relief. I just enjoyed it. Um, it wasn't like a relief, and I, I, I knew I, I knew that. You know, I, I would win. I knew I would win comfortably. Um, I thought I almost kind of got him in the seventh or eighth, I think it was. Um, but, you know, he's a tough guy. Never been stopped as an amateur and all. Anytime he's been stopped, he's only been cut. So, you know, it's uh, it was. I felt, I felt that it was a good performance. Um, very, very clean. Um, won every round. I thought, in my opinion, maybe, maybe one or two could have went to him and they were close. But, you know, it was, it was, it was good. It was smooth. Um, and I was just—I'm happy to get the win. I wasn't like a was relieved or anything. I was just—I was happy just to winning and do the business and, and put it to bed. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I thought it was your best to date. I really enjoyed it. It almost felt personal at times. A little word for for someone who I, admi- I admire and respect hugely was, of course, Paddy Barnes. Uh, he's been yeah. probably a part of your career, part of your journey from 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 the get go. Um, yeah. I always wished and wanted the best for him, and he's done and dusted now. He has great things to do outside the ring. Yeah, listen, Paddy's played a big part in, in my whole uh, amateur career, even professional career. And you know, to see him go out the way he did was sad, but you know, it's it's great that he's walked into 
a great job in in in, in Ulster boxing. Um, you know, he's he's kind of landed on his feet, which is fantastic. You know, someone of his credentials, someone of his standard. You know, you it would be a shame if they were if they went missing from the kind of system which, you know, brought him so much success. Um, so he can kind of pass on his knowledge and you know his information to the next generation, which is is great. Will, will his um will his temper ease a little bit? Do you think will he get a little bit more patient and will he always oh, be? Well, he'll have to. He'll have to, and he's not making weight, so it shouldn't be too hard. <laughs> And what an amazing addition Paddy Barnes will be to the Ulster Boxing Association and the Irish Boxing Association as well. He has a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of experience to pass on. And as Mick says, now that he's not making weight and now that he might not be as grumpy as he was before. I certainly saw on his Twitter earlier on in the week where there's one young lady, his little girl, who has him absolutely where he needs to be. So always great and hopefully, hopefully one day get to chat with Paddy. It's been a pleasure to chat with you this week. It's important for me to keep smiling. It's important for everybody to keep smiling. Keep safe. Keep yourself in the well. Keep everything above board. But smile. Yeah, we got to smile. We got to live. We got to keep being real. Uh, We can't lock ourselves away indefinitely. And I promise you, within a few weeks and months, we'll all be able to look back at this and smile. And remember the stories when we drank a Blue Wicked or when we did this or we did that or we had a JD or we did whatever we did and we had another pot of tea as the virus was searching around the island for us. Keep in touch. Send all your stories, any suggestions, anything you've got. Some amazing guests come on next week's episode. That's it for me and them. Until then, you'll find this and every other episode at www.endswellboxingpodcast.com And as always, love to get your messages. 083 This is Jerry Cooney on Enswell Boxing. I want you for six rounds. You and me, baby, six rounds.